Countdown Day, film fans, and welcome in to the Second Day Film Podcast, the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. It is Monday, January 13th, 2020. I'm your host, Brandon Champion, alongside Mike Nichols. We are going to be counting down our top 10 favorite films of the last decade. That means every film ranked uh, between that came out between 2010 and 2019. Uh, painstaking process that both Mike and I went through. Uh, Mike, how was this process for you? Well, as I texted you earlier, when I begged you to please don't make me rank these movies. Let me just do a top ten best, and you're like, no, we gotta do them. Rank them. Mm-hmm. People love countdowns. Yeah. I texted you back, no, I can't. That's cruel. You texted back, rank them. You will. And I responded, you're a monster. <laughs> yeah, I think and... I said something like, I feel dirty doing this. <laughs> yeah. it, it almost was like like when you're in a field and you're plucking the heads off daisies and you just feel like you're murdering children or something. Like, oh, I'm literally trying to pick between some of my favorite films of all time. I feel like I'm turning my back and betraying my, my children is what I felt like. Yeah, you texted, I feel... I, I've done it. I feel dirty about it, though. And I texted back, I feel like a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, not an easy thing to do, of course. No. Hundreds of films have been released in the last decade. It was a good decade. Yeah. It was a very good decade. Oh, yeah. Going back, and it was fun to going back and looking through and uh, listing, you know, the nominees to start with and then, uh, you know, whittling it down to the top ten. We also have three honorable mentions. Um, so, excited to bring those to you. We're going to be counting down those down here in a second. Um but first, we want to get into uh, the Golden Globes. The ceremony was uh, took place um, in L.A., the Golden Globes, obviously uh, known as the biggest party of the year, uh, honors the best achievements in TV and film. Ricky Gervais served as the host this year. Um, so real quick, before we get to our countdown, um, we just want to uh, sort of talk about you know some of the things we liked and disliked about the ceremony. So Mike... Um, I know you, I, I don't remember if you said you watched the whole thing or just sent this in YouTube videos, but what was a highlight for you or something you really disliked? Uh, highlight for me was definitely the meme that came out of Tom Hanks's face. Uh, just that look. Three hour after, show and Mike points out a meme. Yeah. That's, that's how we, Tom Hanks just giving this look of like, oh boy. Uh, like that just, that was a, that's a mood for my life. Tom Hanks's reaction to hearing something distasteful <laughs> well, um, well while you're on tom yeah. hanks let me just talk about tom hanks oh because, please oh his yeah he was because, great because he is the motherfucking man yes like, he can is we, can we, we just love you say tom that? hanks we love you so much he received um the special award i don't remember what it's called uh, cecil b DeMille yeah, the award, cecil b. DeMille award. Named after the famous film director cecil b. right DeMille. And, and of course he gets because he's the recipient he gets the big montage so many iconic movie moments with mm-hmm. tom hanks I mean, oh yeah tom hanks is cinema yeah. And, and of course, he goes up there and he gives credit to everyone else, giving shout-out after shout-out. cried when he talked about his family because yeah. he's amazing. He's sh- shouting out everyone from, you know, Barkab Abdi to, mm-hmm. uh, you mm. know, Robin Wright to everyone. Oh, so great. What I love most is that they did all the, they do all the camera shots of the looks on the stars' faces in the room. And they're all obviously very famous and accomplished people with extensive film, filmographies in their own right. And yet they were, like, transfixed on what Tom Hanks was saying. It's almost yeah. like their reactions were so genuine. It was almost like he was giving everyone in the room a lesson and right. everyone was listening and getting something out of it. You know, I love that he said showing up on time is one of the greatest liberating acts you can give yourself in a movie. Mm. It was like Tom Hanks takes a bunch of other famous people to school. Yeah. Uh, he's probably a rare gem in Hollywood for the fact that in an industry that's known for, frankly, a lot of fakeness, Tom Hanks is the real deal. He feels He's great. He yeah. does. He feels like the man on the street. He, he really does. Yeah. What do you think about Ricky Gervais's open? Obviously got a lot of chatter online for him basically bashing Hollywood. <laughs> I mean, some of my favorite comedic pieces come from Ricky. Like, he's got the British office, which I love. Uh, he's got the, uh, the show Extras, which I love. He's got, like, a ton of great genius comedic um, pieces. And I love his stand-up. You know, I, I think that... Uh, I don't mind him kind of going there and like kind of pointing out the BS nature of some of these awards, which get very political and also get just a little too sanctimoniously self-congratulatory. So I don't mind him like coming and saying it. Although it is weird to have the British elite come and criticize the American elite. You know, it's like, like, who who is he to talk? So at the end of the day, 
I guess whatever. I don't really have that strong. I can appreciate him standing up there and calling out the absurdity that is Hollywood and society that is in 2019. I mean, I don't know if he honestly believes half of the stuff he's saying. You know, maybe maybe it's just. Yeah. I think it's just kind of funny to hear someone call it out and kind of break that stuffy. I'm going to get up here and preach stereotype. I didn't mind it. It's why it's the open. It's kind of funny to see famous people get made fun of. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, is that what this is now? Is the Golden Globes just well, we're going to insult you all. But that's kind for, of always what, what they do in the open. Of crap you all are. And now let's celebrate your work. It yeah. just—it feels like a strange. But isn't that what the open and always is? They always make fun of people. Yeah, they always take a, little jabs. There's a difference between like lighthearted doing it in a silly, funny way, and that, that kind of feels inclusive. Mm-hmm. And then there's a way of just like, like making this really dark and getting like his Jeffrey Epstein joke. It was oh, probably God. my favorite joke, oh, but at the same time, because he was like, oh, don't boo me, he was your friend. I'm like, oh. <laughs> he just didn't care. He was like, yeah. hey, this is my last year hosting this, so I'm going to say whatever the hell I want. But then, <laughs> when you when you put that kind of mood on the room, then it's like, well, let's celebrate Tom Hanks now. <laughs> it's like, it's hard to shift from like leveling everyone with those kind of truths in that moment to then let's honor your careers. Yeah. I think that's a weird shift, but, you know, whatever, I don't. I don't feel I don't too, I don't feel too bad for all the millionaires in the room. I'm just saying. Yeah. Okay, so I did like a top five quotes of the night. I just wrote them down. Some of them I thought were absolutely hilarious. This guy, Rami Youssef, he does he won for this show, Rami, I've never seen it. He goes up there and he goes, look, you guys haven't seen my show. <laughs> Is this an editor up here talking? <laughs> That's, what <he> said. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Uh, Bong Joon-ho, who we loved, uh, won, oh, won for so great. Best Foreign Language Film. And he said, uh, once you overcome the one-inch-tall barrier of subtitles, you will be introduced to so many more amazing films. We love that. That was my of favorite course. line of the night. Of I course. love that he got to say that. We love um, that, of course. Uh, Brad Pitt, you know, uh, still I would have shared the raft, he says. you know, uh, That was funny. <laughs> he says, I wanted to bring my mom, but anyone I stand next to, they say I'm dating, so I thought that would have been awkward. <laughs> I liked that Aquafina got some love, too, for The Farewell. Because I saw that movie, and I really enjoyed it, and I don't feel like a lot of people talked about that movie. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was a solid little piece of filmmaking right there, and I thought she did such a wonderful job in it. Um, and she had a, she was having a great year with uh, Crazy Rich Agents and then um, The Farewell. Mm-hmm. Like, she was, like, there's a lot of range in her performances. Right, I, I haven't I, seen The Farewell. Her. Yeah, I need to, that's um, on the top of my list. Olivia Coleman also had a good one. I don't know what to say because I've already got a little bit boozy. And then she just, <laughs> and then she just starts swooning over everyone in the room. She's done that act before. Um, and then, of course, Ricky Gervais signed off with Donate to Australia, Get Drunk, Take Your Drugs. <laughs> that was the sign-off. Of the night. Uh, so, also Brad Pitt uh, followed that quote up with, if you have the chance to be kind to someone tomorrow, take it. I think we need it. So, yeah, sure. I, I liked uh, those quotes. Um, Chernobyl one, I definitely thought that was deserved. Yep. And also Stellan Skarsgård one, and he started talking about his eyebrows, which I think is funny because he sort of made fun of the fact that he's one of those character actors in a bunch of movies that never really stands out. Uh, well, he definitely stood out in Chernobyl. That was a fantastic. You haven't seen that yet, still. I still want to see it. I still really want to see it. Uh, anything else you liked? Because I got a couple things I didn't like. 1917 was a winner. Uh, I, I mean, I'll review it like later. I've I've already seen it. I know we're going to review it still mm-hmm. in the future. But um, that the technical marvel that was that movie. Um, it was nice to just see, like big epic films being made at a really just old school technical level and I really appreciated that for what it was so I was glad it won um, for that um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood winning that was fun I guess I don't have any strong feelings I guess either way about that um, couple of things I didn't like oh the Joker won <laughs> yeah I mean a couple of things I didn't like I didn't really have any problem with any of the awards whatever they're all subjective anyways it's more just totally. about how people receive their awards Quentin Tarantino rubbed me the wrong way with his the way that when he won for writing for uh, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he goes up there, he's like, here's the thing, when you win another writing award, another writing award, you don't have anyone to thank, I did it. Like, I get what he's saying, he's the man, he wrote it, but it just came off as pretentious, it's not like he's this up-and-coming guy, he's fucking Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of annoying, and I think it's strange when he tries to crack these dope jokes, it just felt like it didn't work very well. Uh, Patricia Arquette, did the thing that we're talking about. She went up there and got super preachy. Whatever. It's their time to shine. They get to say whatever they want. They can say whatever they want. They have That's their right. It's, I just hate when they get on a soapbox and go on and on and on. And I don't even care what they're talking about. If it's anything, it gets annoying to me. And also you have the back-to-back awkward-as-fuck moments with Joaquin Phoenix and Renee Zellweger. Both of which are like... Like, Renee Zellweger... 
it was just constant cringeworthy moments when she was talking. And I, I do, like, she randomly busted out, like, a southern accent. I know she's from Texas, but, like, people haven't heard her talk in a southern accent in, like, two decades. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, actually, people probably haven't heard Roger Zellwager talk in two decades, because, I don't know, <laughs> she hasn't been relevant for a while, I feel like. But, uh, just some awkward speeches. Just kind of weird. Uh, yeah, I don't... I didn't watch the other ones. Yeah. I did watch the Joker one, Joaquin Phoenix, and I, I don't know. I don't even know what he was saying because it was bleeped out so much. <laughs> yeah, he seems like an interesting guy. Like, I can definitely tell he was just trying to be truthful, and he probably said things that if I was living in Hollywood, I'd probably think too. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Taron, how about Taron, though? Went in for Elton John. Yeah, his, his speech was short and sweet. That, that was Elton cute. John, Elton John himself <laughs> made an appearance. So, I thought yeah. he was like, wow, I, I really didn't think I was going to win. I didn't write a speech. And I was like, yeah. Okay. I, I, I forgot he was nominated. Right. So, but I'm yeah. glad he won. Good for him. I've always liked him a lot. Yeah. I thought he got screwed over with a bad Robin Hood movie. Yeah. In he general. Did, he deserved to be a good Robin Hood. And they did not let him get to be one. In general, I think it was a pretty fast-moving, well-paced ceremony. Uh, Golden Globe sort of kicks off the award season. Of course, Academy Awards have come out recently. Uh, we're going to touch on those on the next episode, as well as review a couple more films like 1917, like Mike said. Um, but just wanted to touch on the Golden Globes uh, since it happened. But now for the main event. All right, so moving on to what we're here to do today. It's our top ten favorite films of the decade. All films released between 2010 and 2019 were considered for this list. Obviously, Mike, a lot of films released in that time period. Uh, We already talked about what a painstaking process this was. Um, So we cheated a little bit. We gave ourselves three honorable mentions to go along with our top ten. And we're going to start with those honorable mentions. So, Mike, what is the first film on your honorable mention list? The first film on my honorable mentions list is an amazing little movie that I love called Whiplash. Whiplash is a 2014 American drama film directed by Damien Chazelle. Great young director. It's about the story of Miles Teller as an ambitious jazz student and his brutally uh, abusive instructor, uh, J.K. Simmons. And it's about their dynamic. And I just love what this movie did in such a... It's actually a very short movie, but I love the great acting in it, and I love the exploration of, you know, how far are you willing to go to achieve greatness in your field and leave an impact as a legacy, and also just that finale of that drum solo is yeah. just amazing. It's amazing. This, movie. this film finished just off my honorable mention list. I actually had it in there and then bumped it off at the last second. It's amazing how you can take something as simple as someone drumming and uh, somebody watching someone drum and with music and editing and camera angles and close-ups, you can create such suspense. Because in reality, it's just a kid sitting there drumming. But you feel like you're watching a life-or-death situation when it's happening. Mm -hmm. So I agree, Whiplash, just off my list. What's one on yours? The first film I'm going to put on my list is a film from 2013 that's been brought up a few times on this podcast. It's called Snowpiercer. Mm. Um, Mm. And it's directed by Bon Joon-ho. We just brought this up when we talked about Parasite. Excellent choice. Uh, It's about... um, it's a post-apocalyptic film um, that follows uh, a group of survivors um, on a train that is circumnavigating the globe. All the survivors of the world are on on this train. I think it's just a super stylistic post-apocalyptic film, which is a genre that is flooded with films these days. And this yep. is a really interesting, smart, intellectual take on it. It presents some interesting ideas about class and what would happen if if the world actually ended and these class systems were were uh, created. The filming direction by Bong Joon-ho is incredible. There's these brutal hand-to-hand combat scenes. Um, and it really puts you in the action, but it doesn't feel overwhelming. You still right. know what's going on in these confined face, spaces where they're fighting. I think the film finishes strong. Every new car you get to on this journey, something new interesting is happening, some new interesting ideas being presented. There's some really interesting themes in this movie. I just loved it. I thought it's, I think it's a really underrated movie that not enough people have seen. Yeah, the use of the train in that movie is is deeply symbolic, and it's really, really good writing on his part. And and it's also just goes to show like how original he is as a filmmaker. I mean, this movie came out of nowhere. Uh-huh. I mean, for all the movies that have gotten made like in the last like, ten years, you know, we've seen the rise of film franchises and like movies that are coming like as as a blockbuster you know, that new equation. Like, Especially, this movie doesn't have anything it's built off. It's just an original story about 
a really great sci-fi concept, and it just came out of nowhere, and I loved it for that. For sure. What else you got on your honorable mention? All right, my second honorable mention is uh, a fantastic Pixar film by the name of Toy Story 3. It was really tough to not include this movie in my top ten because of how much it moved me. Um, the Toy Story movies are all, I think, almost literally perfect movies. I love them so much. And to create, well, at the time, we thought it was going to be the finale. We thought it was just going to be a trilogy. We didn't know Toy Story 4 was coming yet. But to give this character, uh, give these characters closure, to end the story in a way that was both like meaningful, profound, and just universally appealing to the human experience of letting go of your toys. Like, it was just so good mm -hmm. and i remember like when this movie came out there were like articles about like grown men are crying in these movies like grown men are walking on toy story like sobbing and hung like right. and i was one of those guys i was like man this movie like that movie seriously makes me tear up that final ending where he's saying goodbye to his toys and mm -hmm. yeah i just what what a great story thank so, you so much pixar for toy story so toy story 3 made my list it's number eight Oh, on my it? list. Yeah. Um, yeah, the perfect ending, or at least we thought, it's the passing of the torch when Andy's playing with Bonnie in the yard and he's explaining all his toys. Oh. And he's like, this is the sheriff and this, he's, this is the ferocious Rex yeah. and this is Buzz Lightyear of Starkman. It really hits you in the feels because it's, you know, letting go of your toys and moving on to adulthood and all the things that happen at the end of that movie is something that most of us have gone through. Yeah. And for it's an emotional gut punch. It really is. When you, when you see that, when they're all holding hands and they're going towards that furnace at the yeah. end. I thought I was going to die. Like, watching, I'm like, they're not going to kill them. Are they? This can't happen, right? <laughs> it's pretty like, dark for a Pixar yeah, movie. Yeah, so, and that's, this is the reason why I was so apprehensive about Toy Story 4, because I was afraid, like, Toy Story 3 ended perfectly. It was perfect ending. So I was afraid perfect. that they were going to ruin it. I reviewed that a few pods ago. I don't think they ruined it, but I also don't think it's as good as Toy, Toy Story 3. And when you're talking about Pixar... I think Toy Story 3 is pretty much the pinnacle. I mean, there's other great ones as well. Um, yeah. Finding Nemo, whatever. But I really love Toy Story 3, and I definitely think it's one of the top ten movies of 2000, or of the last decade. So what's your last honorable, or I'll give my honorable mention, actually. Yeah, go for um, it. Since that was my number eight film. Mm -hmm. uh, it's Captain America Civil War mm. from 2016. Good movie. Um, I, I w probably could have made this whole list of Marvel films if I wanted to. <laughs> um, so I, I limited myself to my top ten to only include one Marvel film. This is directed by Joe and Anthony Russo. I've always loved Captain America. He's my favorite character. Uh, this this movie's jam-packed with all the superheroes, but this one really focuses on Tony Stark and Steve Rogers and their differing view on how the Avengers and the direction it should take. It almost feels X-Men-ish with some of the ideas about how the Avengers fit into society. Very much so. Um, it's the most political of all the Marvel films. It really delves into some realistic, real-world ideas. You can see both point of views from Iron Man and our, Tony Stark's all beat, torn up because of the, the Ultron disaster. Mm -hmm. Cap has faith in himself, and he doesn't want government interference. And it culminates in two of the best scenes, in my opinion, in the MCU, which is them running at each other, fighting at the airport, and also the Winter Soldier and Cap fighting with Iron Man. It's really impactful to see the splintering of the Avengers in a time when they really need to be coming together as this threat of Thanos gets more and more real. I just thought it was a fantastic film. Yeah, it's also the introduction to, so far, who has been the best Spider-Man ever. Mm -hmm. uh, Tom Holland's Peter Parker. And Black Panther, actually, is introduced. Black Panther is also introduced in that. I kind of forgot that. Um, and Giant Man is introduced in a really fun scene in that airport battle. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just uh, definitely one of their best uh, best movies. Definitely a great introduction to the MCU for... Oh, no, wait, the Russo Brothers did do Winter Soldier, didn't they? Um, yeah. I'd, I'd have to I, check. I, I think, think they so. did. Yeah. But, but yeah, uh, yeah, that reveal where Tony finds out Bucky killed his parents right. is super... And it leave that oh, last scene when they're you. fighting with each other hits yeah. you right in the feels. Because it's like, guys, guys, you're on the same team! Don't do it! And the way it develops their characters, <laughs> the way it starts to transform Tony into a more, you know, establishment-based system-thinking guy. And Cap actually is really, in some ways, the rebel from society. Mm -hmm. When you think like, oh, Tony's the wild child and right. Cap's roles like... Are almost yeah. And you start really at their core, oh, no, actually they're a little different. Like, mm -hmm. And that, that was really, really good character work um, on their part. So yeah, good one. What's your last honorable mention? My last honorable mention is um, a movie that was one of Netflix's first, um, I believe it was Netflix, their first um, kind of launch into uh, filmmaking. And it was Beasts of No Nation, mm. a 2015 uh, film. Uh, directed by Kerry uh, Joji Fukunga, I think is the name. Um, I hope I'm not pronouncing that too badly, sorry. 
Um, Idris Ebla and Abraham Atta, uh, they uh, play these characters who are a civil war. It's breaking out um, in Africa, and this young boy kind of gets caught up with this warlord. And I just, I remember when this movie came out, it so influenced me. I loved it so much. It was great to see filmmaking at that level being done about those kind of stories, about those places in the world, about those experiences of those kids. And it, it had such great complexity to it. And, you know, I just... Idris is just the man. I love him, and he does. He did such a great job with the, the dark, charismatic like monster, but also like, like I don't want to say hero, but you see why people would see this guy as a hero to them. Mm-hmm. But you also see what a dark like villain he is too. And like, the movie was just very, very powerful. Um, and I, I wish it had gotten more attention. I was kind of frustrated that it didn't really get. Oscar noms when it came out. Yeah, but, not a um, single one. I was just looking at that. Idris Elba was nominated for Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role at the Golden Globes. Uh, didn't win. I have not seen this movie, but I have I have heard uh, of it, obviously. And I'm yeah. definitely going to have to bump this up my watch list if you're saying it's this good. So yeah. It sounds like it might be some, uh, maybe not the easiest watch in the world, but impactful. Yeah. It's a really, if, if you if you want to talk about like good war movies of the last decade with something like 1917 or Dunkirk, um, people, please watch Beasts of, Beasts of No Nation. Really powerful film. And those are my honorable mentions. Okay, my last honorable mention, I feel like might be a little bit controversial, but it's Shutter Island from 2010, directed by Martin Scorsese, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. It's not Marty's most beloved movie. Um, but no, I, it's not. I, I, love, <laughs> I love the production design of this movie, this raining, terrifying island in the 1800s architecture, doctors like brooding and menacing over uh, fires, I like the mystery surrounding the island. Uh, I thought it, there's a lot of really intense, absorbing horror imagery, and I really did not see the twist coming, and I think that's why it impacted me so much, because I... Maybe it was because it was 2010 and I wasn't as educated in my film watching. I was just starting college. I hadn't had a cinema studies degree yet. Uh, so maybe when I was watching the movie, my brain just wasn't trained to think in that way. Maybe if I watched it now, I wouldn't like it as much, but I just love the aesthetic that is created in the movie, and I really thought the twist worked, so... Uh, say what you want. Shutter Island's going to be an honorable mention for me. Uh, you seem like you don't like it as much. I have never seen Shutter Island. Oh, shit. So. Well, I'll watch Beasts of No Nation, you watch Shutter Island. There we go. Fair enough. All right, jumping into our top ten. Mike, what is your number ten <sighs> film released in the last decade? Birdman. Nice. My You're going to say the full title? Birdman. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, yeah. commonly known simply. As Birdman. Wow. Like the rapper. Yes. Uh, Okay. (laughs) So, yeah, it's obviously about um, a guy who used to play Birdman. Uh, It's Michael Keaton starring This isn't a documentary about Big Bird? No, no. This is uh, Michael Keaton as an actor trying to make a comeback, and he's doing this (laughs) stage play, and it just goes through uh, his story and his dramatic onstage experience when he plans to shoot himself. Yeah, and it's a very dark uh, comedy drama, um, but it's an amazing film. It's got uh, a great, um, great supporting cast with Zach Galifianakis, Edward Norton, um, Amy Ryan, Emma Stone, Naomi Watts. Um, uh, yeah, I just thought it was a great movie. It was one of the first movies like of the two thousand like ten era decade, I guess where they started really trying to take seriously that let's do it all in one shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember this movie did that very well. Yeah, following through the streets or mm-hmm. following him through the stages. Yeah, I yeah. remember that too. And I just remember it had such a such a strong insight into the whole exploration of being an actor and being on stage and, you know, the, the idea of your worth coming from the public's view of you. It, it's a movie that really kind of explores that well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I just remember thinking it was such a great movie and um, – yeah, I just I was it's I had to push out Revenant because of it because I really loved Revenant too, which is also directed by the same director, an amazing guy, um, Alejandro Iñárritu. Yes, uh, a wonderful Mexican film director. Um, but yeah, I I went with Birdman. Yeah, uh, won four Academy Awards: Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Cinematography. I liked the film too. It was on my non- nominee list, but didn't quite make the cut. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the first time that the bird, the superhero, actually just shows up out of nowhere, yeah, 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 it's yeah. really jarring. It's like, okay, <laughs> I thought I was watching one kind of movie, and it just turned into a whole different kind of movie. Um, definitely a thought-provoking film, and like I said, the camera work uh, with the one shots and stuff is really fantastic as well. 
My number 10 film of the decade is an animated film, the second of two. I already mentioned Toy Story 3. Um, it's called Kubo and the Two Strings. It came out in 2016. This is a film, uh, a stop-motion film, directed or um, created by the film uh, company Leica. This is, they put out amazing movies. This last year, they put out Missing Link. Uh, a few years ago, they put out Paranorman. This film studio does fantastic work in the stop-motion uh, animation field. Almost every single one of their films bomb because it's not DreamWorks, it's not Disney, and I hate it for that. People need to search out their films. Missing Link just came out this year. It just won Best Animated Feature at the Golden Globes. You need to watch it. I just watched it the other night. Beautiful animation, wonderful story, great characters, great music. And this film, Tubo and the Two Strings, is similar. It's directed by Travis Knight. And since this is kind of a, uh, I would say... Um, <coughs> somewhat of an underground film. I'll read the plot summary. A young boy named Kubo must locate a magical suit of armor worn by his late father in order to defeat a vengeful spirit from the past. Um, much like the film I just talked about, Missing Link, it's breathtaking. It's you got colorful villages, lush countryside, there's dream sequences, mythological beasts coming to life. The film has a lot to say about loss and family. Um, it has this sort of message um, that basically says, you know, while their physical form might be gone, memories are the strongest magic of all, and they can never be destroyed. That's mm -hmm. the central sort of idea of this movie. I'm talking about family, legacy, the memories that we have of our loved ones, even if they're gone. The music is spectacular throughout Regina Spector recording an, an original song for the credits. I just think it's a really, really fantastic, heartfelt, touching film that not enough people have seen. Yeah, I'm, I admit, I haven't seen this movie, but I'm watching the trailer right now, and this movie looks gorgeous. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, is there a particular, like, character or, that you have identified with that, like, really stood out to you about this movie? I mean, Kubo himself. I mean, he, he deals, not that I, because he's, he's, he's dealing with the loss of his parents. He's raised by his grandma. Um, you know, I haven't lost my parents, but I think anyone who's ever lost someone close to you can sort of relate to that feeling of like, oh, I feel like this person didn't get to teach me all they wanted to, or they didn't get to tell me all that they wanted to before they were gone. And Kubo kind of has the opportunity through this magical journey to get the opportunity to learn their lessons and take them forward with him and make a difference in not only his life, but in the life of people around him. So uh, it's just got a really strong message. It's beautiful animation. Uh, everyone needs to watch Kubo and the Two Strings and search out Laika, L-A-I-K-A. They're a film studio. They do all stop motion. Look at their filmography and watch every single one of them because I haven't seen one that I haven't liked yet. So that's my number 10. Mike, what's your number 9 film of the last decade? My number 9 film of the last decade is Get Out. Uh, the 2017 American horror film uh, written and directed by Jordan Peele. Um, I, I think it was his directorial debut, too. Yes, was it? Was. Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, it's the story... Oh, man. Uh, it's the story of this guy named Chris, who is black, and he goes away with his white girlfriend, uh, Rose, uh, back to her family home and uh, meets her family and discovers that things are a bit amiss. <laughs> And uh, the movie deals with so many different like themes of uh, race and identity and control and uh, societal expectations. It's just a very, very good, very funny, um, very unnerving film. Um, I don't particularly like uh, horror movies, but this is one horror movie that I absolutely love. I think it's a great, um, almost even a thriller uh, it's got a lot of Hitchcock elements to it. Um, it kind of feels like if Black Mirror did a really great episode about race and this turned it into a movie. That's how good this movie is. Right. Um, this movie definitely, I thought, uh, did some wonderful things in terms of like having conversations. Like the, the conversations that people started to have coming out of this movie, I think, were really good for society. And it's awesome to see a film make that. It's also nice to see it coming from like someone who's known for his comedy. Like he's an improv and like satirical sketch writing comedian and yeah. it's nice to see like those voices being given a chance to say something meaningful um in film so yeah i, I put get out as my number nine yeah well now after especially after uh, us that came out this year or last yeah. year i can't remember now and uh the twilight zone series on the cbs i mean mm -hmm. he's kind of making a name for himself as a horror director yeah now. he is and good for um, him yeah, yeah. But uh, earned four nominations at the 90th Academy Awards, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Actor for Daniel Kaluuya, who is the star of the film. 
Get Out finished just off my list, but definitely a thought-provoking film. We could talk about that for hours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but and we, I, I forget Daniel Kaluuya actually was in Black Mirror. Right, yeah. Like the first yeah. season, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, the 100,000 Merits one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good episode. My number nine film of the last decade is The Big Sick from 2017. Oh. Uh, this yeah. movie was written and stars Kumel Nanjiani. Um, it's sort of like a pseudo-memoir about his relationship with his co-creator, Emily V. Gordon. Mm-hmm. Uh, on its surface, this movie is a film about a guy and a girl. In uh, It's a rom-com, basically. Um, but then she gets sick, the girl. And where the story goes from there is something I don't think we've seen executed this well on screen. It's sort of like a non-fockerized depiction of what happens when a boyfriend meets the parents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's And his her parents are played remar- like remarkably well by Holly Hunter and Ray Romano. Um, I think their relationship, as they sort of get to know each other while his girlfriend is in is sick, it unfolds in a, like a poignant but realistic way. This is a rom-com, but it has heart to it. Um, and the script is hilarious and heartfelt. It'll make you cry. It'll make you laugh. And then it'll make you cry and then laugh again. It's just, it's, I, I wrote in my review when I reviewed it in 2017, you'll be anything but sick after watching it, <laughs> uh, which is kind of a corny way to put it. But this film also deals with uh, Kumel Nanjiani's Pakistani and his family wants him to marry a nice Pakistani girl. And Emily V. Gordon is white. So, um he's going against, you know, his expectate or the expectations that his family has for him. And there's a lot of insight into arranged marriages and how that actually works. And, uh, just his struggles to want to appease his family and have love and respect for what his parents want, but also that he has to forge his own future and go his own way. Um, and it, I'm not an immigrant. I, my parents aren't immigrants, but in this movie, you can tell that it does a great job of how immigrant parents, like, they want their kids to assimilate to the American culture, but they don't want them to forget where they came from. And that's a very delicate balance, and I think this movie does a fantastic job of showing that balance and what it might be like. Zoe Kazan plays Emily, by the way, I should say. Yeah. So, I love The Big Sick. It's a fantastic film. This was a very popular movie, and I know we got to move on quickly, but just two things I want to just touch on with this movie is... One, I remember, I think it was Ridley Scott who said about when he was making Exodus Gods and Kings, they were like, why did you kind of, this is a movie about ancient Israelites and Egyptians, the story of Moses, why is all the main cast white? Like, why couldn't we just have done, like, actual ethnically accurate actors to this story? And he was like, well, you know, no one wants to go see those movies if I cast Muhammad so-and-so in the lead role, you know, it's people have to see A-listers. And this movie, uh, so the first thing I'll just say is, number one, Clearly not true. People are ready for these kind of movies. That's something that I think the 2010 decade really showed Hollywood is that diversity and making sure that minority voices and female voices, female directors, like all that kind of stuff, like the industry is ready for it because the public's been ready for it. And all this stuff about them saying, oh, like it's not going to do well. That's not true. Number two, as I'll say this. Five million dollar budget. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. This movie had a five million dollar budget with those names and it made 56 point and it made 56.4 million yeah so that's what we call a profit money insert cha-ching okay good good Uh, on the big set yep moving on what do you got next my number eight movie is a film that uh i don't think a lot of people saw uh but i i love this movie i came away thinking about this movie for like weeks after i saw it it's a film called loving vincent this is a 2017 experimental uh, animated film about uh, Vincent Van Gogh. And I, th- I think the, the trailer for this movie went viral when it first came out. Because I remember everyone on Facebook shared the trailer. If you remember this, this was the movie where they made an animated movie about Vincent Van Gogh literally in the style of Van Gogh. So the entire movie is animated like his paintings. But it's even more than that. When we think about like what film and animation are in general, an animated film is a bunch of drawings that people push together like and connect in that such a way so that it looks like there's movement. Same thing with video. All a film is is just a million little photographs taken by a camera, and then you speed them up so it looks like there's motion. What this was was 65,000 oil frame paintings on canvas. Crazy. That they used to create an animated by a team of over 100 like painters so this was like groundbreaking this was very experimental um it was the first fully painted animated feature film i think ever made um i just not only have so much respect for the 
experiment and the artistry that was this film, but also the story. Like, it's a really good movie about Vincent Van Gogh, and it kind of follows um, someone who's trying to deliver uh, the last letter Van Gogh ever wrote, and throughout the cause of he of trying to deliver this letter, he starts to explore not only who Vincent Van Gogh was, but why did he die, and what, what was his life all about. Um... This movie is just so gorgeous. It's got Douglas Booth, Jerome Flam, Saoirse Ronan, um, Helen McCroy, Chris O'Dowd. Um, there's so many good people in it. Oh, Aiden Turner's in it. Um, and it just does a great job of exploring, like, something kind of similar that's in Whiplash, but, like, how far do you go for art? Like, what is the true purpose of your life in, in creating art, creating anything? And what will be remembered about you after you die, and what impact can you leave in the world and and then even what's the meaning of that like this movie explores all that through the lens of not only vincent's life but through his art like literally it's a gorgeous movie i i beg you to go see this movie or, or rent it or whatever you can because I, I wish we had more pieces like this it'll be a little hard to watch at first like sitting in a movie theater like on the big screen i remember my eyes like probably took about five minutes to get adjusted because there's so much information it's hitting you so much um, but yeah, some of these paintings are just, I would love to have like a frame from this painting in my house someday. I, this, this is a great movie. Please go watch it. Loving no, Vincent. Nominated for Best Animated Feature at the 90th Academy Awards. I have not seen this movie, so we'll move on. I already did my number eight. That was Toy Story 3. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll do my number seven, and it's Green Book, just from last year, the Best Picture winner. Um, some people didn't think this deserved the Best Picture. Uh, I was not one of them, um, because I'm totally okay with um, a crowd pleaser winning uh, Best Picture, and I thought it was a fantastic film. Um, tells the story of Mahershala Ali, or sorry, it stars Mahershala Ali, and <laughs> <laughs> tells the story of Mahershala, that'd be an interesting story, I'm not going to lie, but, and uh, Viggo Mortensen, um, a working class Italian-American bouncer becomes the driver of an African-American classical pianist on a tour of venues through the 1960s American South. Obviously, set in that time period, this film has a lot to do with the race, but the two performances are just fantastic. I think they're really well-matched leads, um, both coming from a genuine place as they're acting in this movie. Um, I love the dynamics of Mahershala Ali's character, um, where he doesn't really identify with other African-Americans of his time because he has an uncharacteristic amount of money compared to a lot of African-Americans in the 1960s. But he also can't hang out with his wealthy white peers because he's African-American. So his struggle is really shown in the movie. Um... I, I when I review when we reviewed this back on this podcast last year, I compared it ironically to planes, trains, and automobiles, which is a really <laughs> weird comparison. But if you think about it, it's a buddy road trip with mismatched leads who sort of learn from from each other. Um, and actually, there's a there's a plot in this of trying to get home for the holidays. Same thing as planes, trains, and automobiles. Um, it's obviously not planes, trains, and automobiles doesn't deal as as serious of sh subject matter. Um, but the way that these two guys who are completely different end up becoming friends and learning from each other and ultimately become better people, I think that same theme is there. It was a really feel-good, crowd-pleasing movie, um, and I appreciated it for what it was. So Green Book is number seven on my list. It's good, yeah. Um, number seven on my list, this is really tough, and I, I almost it's torn between these two movies. Um, it's time to talk about Christopher Nolan. Uh, and for my seventh place... I'm going to go with Inception. I, I really wanted to give it to Interstellar, but I, I think that if I had to put a Christopher Nolan movie on this list from this time period of his, you know, of his career, um, I think I'll go with Inception just because I think that was the first film of his that really opened up um, like the door for where Christopher Nolan could go. We knew The Dark Knight was a masterpiece that came out in 2008. Like, we knew that Christopher Nolan was a great director, but then Inception came out, and the originality mm -hmm. that suddenly he showed... It showed that he didn't need a franchise to yeah. have make a great movie. I mean, he made good movies before, too, I guess, but... I remember Inception just changed the game in a lot of ways. Like, kind of the way The Dark Knight changed superhero movies. Inception changed sci-fi movies. It changed action movies, too. Um, and I just think that uh, it, it, you know, it was the one movie that everyone had a poster of. Everyone talked about this movie. Everyone... Uh, loved this movie. I loved this movie. I, it goes into dreams, and it goes into dreams within dreams, and reality, and, you know, the idea of uh, just identity even in the different realities. It's so, so interesting, and it's got such iconic moments, like, you know, the, the fight in the spinning hallway, uh, 
the the top that never really you don't know if it wobbles or if it falls like this is just an iconic movie and as much as i love interstellar and i, I like i think that like maybe deserves to be on this list too I, I'm, if I had to give it to one Christopher Nolan movie here, I'm going to go with the 2010 science action film Inception. Yeah, one of the all-time great scores by Hans Zimmer, too. Oh, oh yeah, uh, the score. It, it, it yeah, finished, score yeah. it finished just off my list, um, but obviously a lot of respect for Inception. We're going to stick with Christopher Nolan, uh, Christopher Nolan as we go to number six, but it's a different film for me, and it's from 2017. You mentioned it already. It's yes. Dunkirk, oh. uh, the war film um, that talks about the, the miracle at Dunkirk at the, uh, at the start of World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, say what you want about this movie. I know some most people liked it. Yeah, I love the narrative structure of this film. How Same. how we 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 see this story unfold it over. I believe it's uh, what a week, an hour, and yeah. a day in different time frames yeah. from different. But points they're all and, yeah. from the air, from the mm-hmm. sky, from the sea, and from the actual beach. And we we live it through these three characters. This movie is definitely channel, channeling techniques used by Steven Spielberg and Saving Private Ryan, but what more movie hasn't these days? Yeah. Um, I just think that Nolan, I love how at the start of this movie we're just put right in the moment. We're thrust right into being on the beach in the Miracle of Dunkirk. We're thrust right to being with Tom Hardy in the air. We're thrust right into being uh, on the sea with the old guy and, his, and the, the soldier who doesn't want to go back. Um it feels like the movie is just, it's its happening. We're here. The chaos is around us. The, car- the I think the first scene is a few soldiers trying to go inland and they just start getting shot at and they run back to the beach. You really feel like you're trapped. The struggle for survival in this movie is so evident with very little dialogue or setup. There, it's, it's done through incredibly staged action sequences, a powerful score, again from Hans Zimmer, to create suspense. The performances are solided throughout. If you're not into creative editing, it might be a little too choppy for you, but this film stuck with me after, and if you didn't see this movie on the biggest screen possible, I saw it in IMAX, then you weren't getting the full experience, um, but I did get the full experience, and it was absolutely amazing, so Dunkirk from Christopher Nolan is number six for me. Dunkirk was almost, again, that was a movie that was almost on my list, I had it like written down as like one of my possibilities. Um, everyone forgets this about Dunkirk too, but that movie has also got maybe the best dogfight ever filmed in a movie. Mm-hmm. Like it's such a realistic and accurate look at like that's what it looks like. It's hard to see the guy. You're using these very small like instruments mm-hmm. to try to hit someone else in the air with bullets, and and it's not exciting or fun. There's no dramatic. It's just oh, I hope I get it. It's a lot of waiting and patience, and yeah, that movie had a really accurate portrayal of dogfights too. And I just want to give it a shout out for that. Um, all right, uh, my number six. Uh, we're going back to animated movies, and uh, this is a movie that we both love. This might be on your list. I don't know, um, but I just I think this is a great movie. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I loved this movie so much when it came out. I thought it was a great new direction for the Spider-Man franchise overall and the, the history of Spider-Man movies. It kind of brought them all almost into one movie, kind of like almost gave little mentions and honorable like moments to the Spider-Man story, and then it actually branched off and did something new and original that still honored it and just continued the story in the best possible way. I love Miles Morales from this. I, I think he's like one of the best new superhero characters of the last decade. I, I guess, didn't Miles come out like in... I don't know when the character was created. It was I, a new I, age snowman. Yeah, it's it was new, an ultimate new. comic book character. I think. It was, oh, created in two thousand eleven. Okay, so Miles is in this decade. Awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, great, great job on not only just delivering a fantastic Spider-Man story. You know, we've seen the Spider-Man story like a bunch on screen already. People were getting sick of it, and all of a sudden, this found a way to make it new again to that mm-hmm. generation. And also, just the animation style was so incredible and so beautiful. Uh, comic it, book come to life. It really we reviewed made this together, like actually, yeah, yeah. on this podcast. And yeah. uh, I just, it made me think so much about all these other movies where I'm like, oh, man, I want to see that done like Into the Spider-Verse. Like, I'd love to see a Captain America movie done like that. I'd love to see a Batman movie done like that. I'd love to see a Superman movie done like, like you know, with their own art styles like that. It, mm-hmm. the, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse opened us all up to how many different types of creative art styles we could actually put on screen. And... Right. I love this movie for that. Well done. Spider-Man Into Spider-Verse. My number six. Again, finished just off my honorable mentions. It was uh, my number two movie of the year last year. So. Yeah. Uh, but we're talking about the whole decade, so it's like, yeah, you know, it's tough, it's it's tough, tough. to you know, number two movie might not make the list. But so, uh, 
it, fantastic film. I loved how it, I think we talked about it on the podcast back then. It, it really captures the essence and the spirit of Spider-Man, mm-hmm. the movie, and what he stands for and what it's all about. So definitely just off my list. Number five is a movie we just talked about, so I don't need to go too far into it, but it's the second appearance from Bong Joon-ho on the list. It's Parasite. We just reviewed it uh, last episode, so we don't really need to go into this too in-depth, but did Parasite make your list? Parasite is number two on my list. There you go. Wow. Mm-hmm. Are you sure that's not... Do you think that's recency bias, or is it, is it? did it actually stick with you that much? Yeah, it's recency bias, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, it stuck with me. I, I loved that movie. I know we just reviewed it. Uh, you can go here on the last podcast. Um, it's right before uh, all the controversial Star Wars comments made by myself. Yeah, but uh, just turn it off after the Parasite review. <laughs> no, whatever. No, I, I don't, I don't think we comments. need to get into Parasite too much. Yeah, um, great movie. Because we we just reviewed it last podcast, so go check it out then. And we're running a little long here, so yeah, go see uh, we'll move on to the next one. But number five for me and number two for Mike. So that tells you all you need to know. Uh, what's your number five? Death of Stalin. Wow, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I I've watched Death of Stalin probably like. Four or five times, like, within the month that I saw it. I loved that movie so much. Death of Stalin is a very dark comedy film. It came out in 2017. It's a satirical uh, movie uh, directed and written by Armando Inucci, uh, who's the genius behind such things as uh, Veep and The Loop and um, The Thick of It. And it's uh, the story of uh, the death of Stalin. And then after he dies, it's all about the fight for power between... Um, all of his uh, central committee, um, Russian by, guys, Russian yeah. guys played by all yeah. American Steve and English Steve Buscemi <laughs> plays Nikita Khrushchev. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he does him. It's so great. Um, this movie, just even talking about it, thinking about it, makes me laugh. Um, well, okay, I will say something original about this movie though. How many movies have we actually gotten to see lately? Like big, like you know, well-made movies that actually deal with Russia during the the, like, the height of the Soviet Union. Not a lot. We don't see a lot of movies about Stalin. We don't see a lot of movies about what went on. And, like, you know, he killed more of his own people than Hitler did. Mm -hmm. Like, you would think, with all the Holocaust movies we've made, maybe there could be some incredible dramatic movies to be made about that moment of history. There was one big difference. They were on our side. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there it is. Or, you know, think about what happened under Chairman Mao. And, you know, how many people died under him. But we don't see a lot of those movies from that time of China's history. We don't see a lot of movies from this part of Russia's history. So, one, it's just nice to see a movie about that. And two, this movie's actually really good history. Like, yeah, they have to take some artistic license, and obviously they have, you know, Steve Buscemi playing Nikita Khrushchev, but, like, all the crazy things that happen, like, you know, this thing about the guy who gets the whole hockey team killed, really happened. The whole intro, where there's Stalin demands a recording from this concert the night before, and they're like, oh, no. So they, we, we didn't record it. So then they try to get everyone to sit back down. They have to, like, get a, drag a guy off the street to really do this again actually true really happened the most ridiculous things in this movie actually happened when the guy is uh i forget which character is but he's like matter-of-factly handing out like ways to go kill people like oh take this person in the street shoot him in front of their father uh, dump him in his pulpit yeah shoot him but make sure he sees it first yeah Yeah. like it's so like it sounds terrible the way we're talking about but if you watch it in the movie it's actually quite funny it's a it's a dark comedy so keep that in mind um anyways yeah it's the satire that that we all needed in this in, in this decade, I think. I love Death of Stalin. Definitely my favorite comedy of the last ten years. All right, getting down there. Hopefully you're still with us. Uh, my number four movie of the last decade is Mad Max Fury Road from 2015, mm-hmm. directed by George Miller. It's the fourth film in the Mad Max uh, franchise, following up on the Mel Gibson efforts from the early 90s. It's a gorgeous and movie. A technical marvel, yeah. this movie is. Great music in it, too. Yeah, actually. it is just fantastic. I love the way we're just thrust into this world. Uh, where we don't get much set up. We've seen what, we of course have the, the uh, reference of the la- the old Mad Max movies, what this world has sort of become, but there's no setup. We just see this crazy guy, Morton Joe, is the controller of the water. He leads this steampunk desert society in Australia. And why I think this movie is so good, plot-wise, it's nothing. They literally take steal some women, they drive into the desert, they turn around, and they drive back. In the desert. Literally the entire movie is just one big chase, but because it's so technically impressive, because the action is so amazing, because it's so imaginative with the freaking guy, this movie is so over the top, but in a good way. 
you got like the guy with the flaming guitar and the music, yeah. and you got guys like jumping <laughs> on poles to get onto like pole vaulting onto cars. Like the way the armor is built, the production design, the sound editing, the music, the cinematography, the costumes, everything technical about this movie is so fantastic that it over that it overwhelms what is basically a string and bones plot. Just, I just absolutely love it. Just think, George Miller could have given us Justice League. <laughs> he could have been the guy. Let's not dwell on what didn't happen. We'll never Mike. know now. <laughs> yeah. we'll never know. All right. Uh, my, my, is it your number four? All right. Now my number four. Uh, this is a film that uh, we actually just talked about, The Irishman. Okay. Uh, by Martin Scorsese. Uh, just a fantastic film. We've already reviewed it, so I don't want to go too much into it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, it's the Godfather of this generation. It's an amazing. Uh, you know, achievement both cinematically in terms of the visual effects and the aging process, but also just the acting of, you've got Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, and there's a list of other great actors all in this movie revealing uh, probably the truth of what really happened to Jimmy Hoffa. Um, A very important crime movie, a very interesting movie about American politics and American crime. Um, Sticks with you. Um, I think it's it's one of his in terms of like his career like Wolf of Wall Street is like also another highlight of his from this decade um, uh, I know you love Shutter Island but if you look at like all, how all of his movies have kind of built and, and lessons over the years it's almost like this movie took the climax of all Marty's lessons and mm-hmm. put it into just one great powerful you know crime movie where it's him at his best and I just love this movie it's in my number four okay yeah, it didn't make my list but it, uh, we just reviewed that a couple pods ago if you want to get more in depth with that my number three, three film is one that should hit Close to home for both me and Mike. It's from 2015. It's called Spotlight. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, I really wanted to put this one on my list. This movie yeah. is directed by Tom McCarthy. Stars uh, Mark Ruffalo, Michael Keaton, Rachel McAdams, Lee Schreiber, and a bunch of other people in uh, that all do a fantastic job in this movie. I think it's a very... It might be the most realistic look at journalism we've had. I mean, yeah, I know uh, all the President's Men, you know, there's been some other good ones yeah. um, called Northside 777 or whatever. This movie but, really shows what it's actually like to be a journalist. Right, but it shows how hard you, yeah. reporters have to work to get stories. It doesn't make them look bigger than they actually are. It just shows them working. It doesn't use them as a character. I've talked about many times about how journalists make great movie characters because they get access to things you can put them in different situations but a lot of movies don't portray them realistically they portray them as sort of like these sniveling conniving they use them as a plot device spotlight shows what these reporters actually had to do how much of a grind it was and really at this film's core it's not talking about anything too exciting but because of the editing because of the direction because of the performances the film is riveting to watch and see it un, un, unfold and see how this huge scandal was unfolded. And as a journalist, it's impossible not to get fired up watching this movie like, yeah, those are my people. That's what's up. That's how we do. And in this decade, uh, I think it's important to see things like that. So Spotlight is my number three film of the last decade. Yeah, um, just just to say this, like that movie like made me like really seriously, like I left the theater crying pretty pretty hard when I saw that movie because... You know, I, I was a kid, my dad's a pastor, and I grew up, like, in a church, and I saw a lot of really bad behind-the-scenes stuff happen. There was definitely, you know, terrible stuff that happened, uh, similar to what, you know, you see in the movie. And it definitely did, like, help push me into journalism. So watching a movie where it's journalists then fighting, like, church abuse of kids, like, it just really connects with me. And I, I know you didn't get to go, but Champ and I both graduated from CMU. We both have journalism degrees from there. And the CM Life uh, school paper we were part of had their 100th anniversary recently. Michael Resendez, the main reporter who worked on that story, played in the movie by Mark Ruffalo, he was the keynote speaker. And I don't know if I told you this, but I got to talk to him afterwards, and he and I had a nice little chat. Um, There's like a picture of me, chat with him, uh, with Catherine Ranzenberg, I think. Um, but yeah, uh, just Shout a really out. special movie. Shout out to you, Michael Resendez. Um, oh, I was talking about Catherine, but that's oh. cool. Yeah, hey, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, roommate? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, great movie. I'm glad you have it on your list. Yeah, Best Picture Award winner. I was glad to see that. And Best Original Screenplay in 2015. So, what's your number three? My number three is Avengers Endgame. I really debated putting this movie or Avengers there. Because if we look at movie history, what we are seeing with the MCU is something that has been unprecedented. And it's amazing. The way not only did they take these individual character stories, build them up into a genuine shared universe and then 
like connect them even more so. So like what happened with Avengers in 2012 and that movie came out like you like I remember you would never think that you would see a movie like that and you're like oh they they will never get like the rights to all of them. They'll never get like all these actors to do this movie together and they did it. Mm-hmm. And then that just kept culminating and getting more like intense and better over the years until finally the culmination of like what 20 something movies and here we are Avengers Endgame. Yeah. Like this was the the this was the the climactic movie of all these movies and it was something that no one had done before in movie history. And I think we've seen a lot of big franchise stories come to a head in the last decade. We've seen like the Game of Thrones finale, we've seen now the Star Wars finale, we've seen yeah, you know, one thing I didn't put on my list but Deathly Hollows, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows like um, you know, and and Avengers and all these huge fantasy stories built up to these big crescendos. And Deathly Hollows was good. Uh, that was pretty meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, Star Wars I was just missed my list too. Deathly Hollows Part Two. Yeah, uh, Deathly Hollows Part Two almost made mine as well because yeah. that's a great movie. Uh, and then you know Game of Thrones, uh, but well, Avengers Endgame, that, yeah. like that, that just that nailed the ending. It that stuffed was... the landing. Avengers Endgame is my number one. Um, oh, not to, really? Not to spoil anything, okay. but yeah. it's my number one film, and, it, and it's because of what you said. It's, I think that maybe it's not fair, but I really am taking into account. All the build-up, all the time and investment that the filmmakers yeah. and fans put in, and they actually stuck the landing, they and did. that's a huge achievement. I mean, we have we have we get. To, I think what that film Endgame did so well is by the nature of the plot and what Thanos did, we got to spend a lot of time with the original Avengers. Yes, we got a lot. It, it had incredible emotional depth. It took the time to show us what the tragedy. Um, how it was affecting our original yeah. got people. And that's important in a world filled with superheroes, wizards, cosmic beings, to show them as people yes. and how it affected them as people. Mm-hmm. It made it such a, a personal story. You know, uh, Thor is a boozer. Clint Barton is just killing everyone because he's so mad that his family's gone. Black Widow's lonely. Tony's reluctant to do anything. These are natural human reactions to what people would do. Yeah. And then you set this against this amazing story and what I would consider the number one movie moment of the year when Captain America catches this catches uh, his hammer and says, Avengers, nuts. assemble. Yes. And literally every single person, every single army we've ever seen through these two since two thousand eight comes and just attacks Thanos and it's it's just incredible. It gives me goosebumps goosebumps yeah. thinking about it. Think about like any kind of story you're gonna have. We're gonna see superheroes, uh you're going to see wizards, you're going to see aliens, and you're going to see, like, literal, literal like, gods. And it's not a mess. All show <laughs> up, like, at the same time to fight a purple-faced alien guy for these magic stones, and you're going to be like, yeah, this is, this this is totally this normal, works. and this works, and this is epic, and I love it. Yeah. Like, and it's actually poignant, too. Like, when mm-hmm. he catches that hammer, and he finally says, assemble. Right. Everyone's like they're not just clapping as on yeah like people are actually almost like crying right. like oh yes and the way of course it ends with Iron Man saying I am, I am Iron, Iron Man. Man and what I love is the MCU quite literally at least this Infinity tr- Saga yeah. quite literally began and ended with, yeah. Iron Man. with Iron Man and they they wrote out they found a great way to write out Captain America Iron Man and Black Widow um, we have the Black Widow standalone film coming up so we're not done with her but yeah. um, you know obviously. Just just really fantastic that they were able to pull this together. So that's my number one film. It's Mike's number it's, three. It's iconic. So give us your iconic. number two. Yeah. Uh, I told you my number two. It's Parasite. Oh, yeah. Give us your... Uh, your. I'll give you your my, my number two. Uh, it's Three Billboards Outside in Ebbing, Missouri. I really wanted to see this. From I still 2017. Yeah, directed by Martin McDonough, starring Francis McGorman, Sam Rockwell, Woody Harrelson, um, Peter Dinklage. I've heard uh, nothing but great things about oh, this movie. I loved this movie so much. Um, it, uh, the plot summary, in case you missed it, a mother personally challenges the local authorities to solve her daughter's murder when they fail to catch the culprit. This is, uh, Fargo-esque, I would say. I mean, Mm -hmm. Francis McDormand, obviously a thread that ties that through, but it's, the twists and turns in this, in this script by Martin McDonough, it's, it's just fantastic. In the same way that Parasite is, it feels natural. It feels like it happens and unfolds in a very natural, normal way. There's a very fresh narrative story to this with all these wonderful, de- wonderfully developed characters sort of intertwining in this town of Ebbing, Missouri. Every character in this movie feels like they should be there. Ebbing, Missouri feels like a real place that you could stumble onto in the next county. This is my favorite performance of Sam Rockwell's career. Uh, he's been a great character actor for a long time, but... 
he really shines in this as sort of this disgraced deputy. Every time you think you know that this film is heading in one direction, you think you have it pegged, it pivots and 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 changes. Uh, this was my number one film from 2017, and it's my number two film of all time. I have so much love for this movie, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. I need to watch it, yeah. Yes, watch it immediately. You said this is your this is your number two favorite movie of all time? Uh, from the last decade. Oh, from the last decade. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. That's right, Avengers Endgame is one. Yep, so what's your number one? All right, so this was really tough. This was a tough choice. It clearly didn't um, even make my list, so this is interesting. This didn't make even a lot of lifts. Yeah. I was kind of shocked by this. But it's a movie that uh, it won Best Picture. This movie was uh, named the 44th greatest film since 2000 in a BBC poll. Um, this movie uh, is the memoir of Solomon Northrup, 12 Years a Slave. Okay, yeah. It okay, is yeah. Uh, my number one movie of the last 10 years. I got to tell you, when I watched this movie, I... I mean, I had no. I, I had taken a class African American history. Like I, I, under, I, I'd read a bunch of slave journals and uh, you know diaries. I had not. I, I had not had read Solomon Northam in particular, but um, you know, I, I was aware enough of like you know the probably more than most American guys. I thought, I guess, but uh, when I saw Twelve Years a Slave, like I literally was sad for two weeks straight. Like, I could not stop thinking about the movie. I could not stop thinking about slavery. I could not stop thinking about the consequences of it. I could not stop thinking about the evils of it. Like, I could not stop thinking about the just stark reality of it that does not go away in the American story. It is a wound that we have never healed from. And this this movie just brought it to the forefront of your understanding and imagination in a way that I have never seen a movie do. Um, it's a historical movie. It's a true movie. It's a, a pretty accurate movie. Um, it's the story of Solomon Northrop. Or for those who don't know, here's the plot. Solomon Northrop is a, is a free uh, black man living in the uh, America in 1841. He gets kidnapped um, and sold down south and, you know, tries to tell him, I'm free, don't do this, but obviously no one listens or cares, and he's just a slave for 12 years until finally he uh, gets out of it. But the experience that he has, this was also the movie that I should say put um, Lupita Nyong'o, mm -hmm. uh, that put her kind of on the map for most people. She's a fantastic actress. But it's got Michael Fassbender as like a cruel um, slave master. It's got uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as like a nice slave master, but who's still not at all, you know, helpful to the situation. Um, it's got Brad Pitt as a guy who is, talks to him. It's got... Paul Dano, who I love as this, you know, he plays the typical Paul Dano villain. He's just great. I love Paul Dano. Um, but yeah, this movie, um, it, it feels like if we did a Schindler's List movie about America, that's kind of how good this movie was and how much it kind of puts you through this guy's experience. There's one scene I still think about probably, I, I think about the scene probably once a month. And it's a scene where like, they they start to like string them up essentially yeah. and then they're told oh wait you can't or whatever so they just kind of leave him there so he's not like lifted off the ground by the neck but his like toes are just kind of still touching the dirt and they leave him there like all day like that and it's just the camera just stops and it just stays on him for like probably i guess i don't know how long it, it feels like five minutes it's probably only like two minutes or whatever but it just stays on him hanging there by his neck his feet just like pittering against the ground, just trying to stay alive until finally, like, it's sundown and finally someone, like, gets there and chops him down. So, mm -hmm. so, but just, please watch this movie. Please think about history. Please think about stories that really confront us with the reality of being human, the inspirational, like, fight for freedom that, that we've not only had in our country, but just all over. And please, like, stop and just think about, like, racism. <laughs> Like, really stop and, like, think about historically what's happened in this country for it. I'm interested to know, like, a lot of the movies you and I picked, uh, you know, Green Book, 12 Years a Slave, Get Out. Like, we've kind of picked some movies that deal with that. But, yeah, 12 Years a Slave, movie I can't forget. Please go watch it. It's an essential part of our history. There's no denying that. Nine yeah. Academy Award nominations. It won Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Supporting Actress for Lupita Nyong'o. I liked this film. I didn't like it quite as much as you, but probably because it's not really that enjoyable of a film to watch. Which is and I have, good. I know, it I know be. it should. Good films yeah. should make you feel uncomfortable, but I can't put it in my top ten of the decade when it makes me feel 
that terrible. I, I, it was a good film, um, but just didn't quite make my list. So to to re- to recap, uh, honorable mentions for me: Snowpiercer, Captain America: Civil War, and Shutter Island. And then from ten to one, Kubo and the Two Strings, The Big Sick, Toy Story Three, Green Book, uh, Dunkirk, Parasite, Mad Max: Fury Road, Spotlight, and Three board, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, and Avengers Endgame. What's your? Uh, my honorable mentions were Beasts of No Nation, Toy Story Three, and Whiplash. Uh, my uh, top ten, going from ten to one, was Birdman, number ten, then Get Out, Loving Vincent, Inception, Spider Man into the Spider Verse, Death of Stalin, The Irishman, Avengers Endgame, Parasite, and number one, Twelve Years a Slave. And then just real quickly to mention, Evan Dean sent me his top 10 of the last decade, former host of the show, now living in sunny Florida. He sent me his uh, top 10 of the decade just real quick. Uh, Number 10 is Room. Number 9 is Spotlight. 8 is Shutter Island. 7 is The Florida Project. 6 is Captain America Civil War. 5 is The Hunger Games. 4 is Prisoners. 3 is Green Book. Two is Inception, and number one is Avengers Endgame. So he agrees with me there. Prisoners uh, was one that almost made my honorable mentions. I loved Prisoners. The Florida Project is a movie I'd like to shout out. I really like that one, too, though. I think a lot of people need to see it. The but Hunger Games was in his top ten. I guess so. That's interesting. Yeah. Huh. Uh, anyways, we're, we're running long here, so we got to get out of here. Check out our Facebook page on the Second Day Film Podcast and our old episodes on... Uh, Apple Podcasts. Leave comments too. If yeah, you guys like fun. like us, if you disagree with us, shout out. We'd love to love to chat with you about it. Debate is what we're all about. Um, the Oscar nominations were just announced. We said we'll get to those next pod. We're also going to review 1917. I also just saw Bombshell uh, about the uh, Fox News uh, conspiracy, so I'll review that next time. And uh, hopefully something else, maybe Little Women or something like that. Um, but until next time, for Mike Nichols, I'm Brandon Champion. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you at the movies.